0: So I'll go ahead and apologize right up front that my middle daughter had a volleyball game yesterday, and I knew that I was preaching today, and I should just go there and watch the game and be quiet. Um, Unfortunately, God was giving me a little bit of a hands-on working understanding of how works and my works uh, play out. So I was not quiet. Y'all know that's not my spiritual gifting to be quiet. And so my voice is a little issue today. So I've got some water up here just in case um, because I could not be quiet. So, you know, I, I knew what not to do and I did it anyways. I mean, that, we're going to be talking about works a little bit today. That's where I was at yesterday. God was giving me hands-on for this lesson today. I'm going to make a statement. And first of all, my name is Micah Tyson. For those who don't know me, I'm one of the congregational elders today. I am... Um, Teaching today, I do this about once every three to six months. Uh, Mark's our normal teacher up here. Um, I, I'm going to make a statement, and it's going to sound like opinion to you, but it's actually fact. The statement is: Gladiator is one of, if not the best, movies ever made. That may sound like opinion to you; it's actually fact. It's not in dispute here. We can't really debate about this. It's like saying Die Hard's a Christmas movie. Of course, it's a Christmas movie. That's a fact. So. I love the movie Gladiator. I love the movie Gladiator. And there's a part in it that I really love. And as as we've been reading through Paul's letter to the churches in Galatia, I don't know if you've noticed, Paul seems a little ramped up in this letter. And there's a part in Gladiator where Russell Crowe, his his character Maximus, comes out and he goes through like seven gladiators by himself, single-handedly. And then he gets done, he's done, and he leaves. you' got the all the-powerful political people sitting up top. He takes the sword and he throws it, and he goes, "Are you not entertained?" And I love that part because you get sort of the emotion of that character, how exasperated he is. Isn't there a sense of Paul in this letter? He's really exasperated with the church. He's, he's like, "Guys, are you kidding me? Really? Really?" And and I I was thinking about, as I was preparing for this, why is Paul, I think it's a good reminder for us to go back and say, why is Paul so exasperated? Why is he so sort of amped up and worked up? And I think it's important to understand the context of why Paul's writing this letter to the churches in Galatia. Paul had done mission, he actually did multiple missions to this region of Galatia, and he had helped start multiple churches there, and he had a hand in bringing them the gospel. They got the truth they got the true gospel from his mission trips from his plantings he had set elders out there they knew the truth and yet they so quickly turned away and we're following the teachings of jesus plus something else jesus plus work instead of in christ alone and that's what paul was dealing with here and, and let me just be real clear on this any gospel including one we ever say from here, any gospel that says Jesus plus anything else is a false gospel. Jesus is enough. Jesus doesn't need your help. Jesus plus wealth is a false gospel. Jesus plus poverty is a false gospel. Jesus plus your religious acts is a false gospel. Jesus plus your good works is a false gospel. When Jesus is on the cross and he says, it is finished, he didn't say, as long as you do this. He says, it is finished. That's the gospel. Jesus alone is the gospel. You and I can never do enough good deeds to justify ourselves. Man, I can't even get out of my driveway without sinning, much less sit in traffic and not sin, right? I mean, this is, tell, I just ask my wife. I, I can't sit in traffic and not sin. How am I supposed to then justify myself if I can't even make it through one trip? C.S. Lewis wrote a really great book. and It is sort of addresses some of the core issues we're going to come into today, um, dealing with our own sinfulness and our inability to even stop sinning so much that even our good deeds can become sin to us. He wrote a book called The Screwtape Letters. If you haven't read it, you should. Probably should read it almost yearly, honestly, at least every other year as part of your normal reading. And, and if you don't know the book, the book is a series of letters between two demons, essentially. Um, one is a younger demon and one's a senior demon, um, and they're working on someone to try to pull him away from the faith. And I love this book, but this one part has always hit me really hard. The senior demon's name is Screwtape, and he's writing to his nephew, Wormwood. And he says this. I think it'll be up on the screen behind me here. Screwtape says this to his nephew Wormwood Your patient has become humble. Have you drawn his attention to the fact? All virtues are less formidable to us once the man is aware that he has them, but this is especially true of humility. Catch him in the moment when he is really poor in spirit and smuggle into his mind a gratifying reflection By Jove, I'm being humble. And almost immediately, pride, pride in his own humility, will appear. If he awakes to the danger and tries to smother this new form of pride, make him proud of his attempt. You see what C.S. Lewis is doing is saying here? Oh, okay, you're humble. Be proud that you're humble. And that's good enough. And if, if you happen to catch that you're being prideful of your humility, be prideful in the fact that you called it. Isn't that a funny, isn't that a funny phrase? Isn't that funny to think about? That's always hit me because this is where we're at. We do good deeds, right? We do. I don't, I, don't, I think y'all do good deeds. I think you're good people. But do you hope someone saw you do them? Do you hope someone knows that you did them? Do you hope someone saw? And if you don't hope that someone saw, do you take pride that you didn't hope someone saw? That's the point, Right? And at the very moment you're no longer perfect than this, you are failed. You cannot justify yourself at the very moment you're no longer perfect than that. And the reality is, we all know, we all do things hoping other people see. We all do. This is all of us. None of us are perfect in this. And Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah wrote in chapter 64, verse 6, We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. Y'all, if even our good deeds, our righteous deeds, are polluted garments, how can we expect to be saved by them at all? How can we expect to be transformed by them at all? If everything good I do also try to take pride in it, how can I be transformed by it? Don't you see now, this is all the context. Don't you see the horror of what the churches in Galatia were doing? That Paul had given them a beautiful, a perfect, great gospel of the death, burial, and resurrection of our perfect sacrifice in Jesus. And they were polluting it with their righteous acts. They were polluting it. With their good deeds, isn't it like us to take something that's already good and say, "You know what? Let me make it better. Let me add me into it." Don't we do this a lot? Something's already good, and boy, if it be Jesus, I mean that's really good. But man, what you need is some Micah, right in the middle. Jesus, is like, no, I don't. I really don't. Uh, what arrogance and pride we have to think Jesus needs us to do something. Jesus is enough. He always has been. He always will be. He is enough. But this is all the danger. Don't you see why Paul's so frustrated? And you're going to hear his language today. His language almost comes off a little strong at times. If you're if you're reading this, you may think the language here is strong. It is strong language. He calls them foolish at points. It's strong. But I think we're getting back to why he wrote this letter in the first part. He's so frustrated that the church turned so quickly and tried to add so much to what was already good, to what was already done, already perfect, already finished. And that's why this, his frustration will come through in the letter today. He had taught them better than us. He had taught them better than us. And yet they so quickly turned away. This is a letter for us as much as the churches in Galatia, is it not? We're going to start in Galatians three today. verses one and two is going to be where I start. We'll go through verse six later, and this will be up on the screen, Galatians three one through two. Oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this: did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing, with faith, with faith? You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It's pretty strong to call somebody foolish, to call a group of people foolish. It'd be even really strong to call a group of churches foolish. That's strong language. And I think it's to get us to the point that this isn't just a simple misunderstanding of the church. It isn't like they were arguing over carpet colors. It's not like they're arguing over little minutiae, Right? He sees them bringing in a false gospel. This is a big point. This is a really big point. What is happening in the churches in Galatia is that they are close to accepting another gospel than what Paul originally preached to them. Jesus plus anything, again, I want to reiterate this. Jesus plus anything isn't just a poor gospel. It is a false gospel. It's no small matter at all. Because this has effects on how the church is going to spread the gospel. They can't even get the gospel right. How do you spread it? If you don't have the right gospel, how can you spread it? i gonna say this. Probably shouldn't. But what we do is we drive around with a little bumper sticker on our car that says, Jesus is my co-pilot. I hope you ain't got that bumper sticker on your car. You need to go take that bumper sticker off. Or at least write out, like, mark out the co-part. Right? Don't do it right now. Like, do it after the search, so nobody knows you got it. But you need to take that off. That's the problem. Jesus isn't your co-pilot. Jesus has to be Lord of your life, or he's nothing. That sounds harsh, but you can't serve two masters. You will begin to fall in love with one more than the other. You will begin to. And this is what happens when we let in false gospels in our churches. We begin to fall in love with the one... False one instead of the true one. In Revelations, there's a message to the church in Ephesus, which is in a neighboring region to Galatia. Let's look at what happened to the church there. This is Revelation two four. And in, in general, the church in Ephesus was pretty good. The, Revel, the uh, John was pretty good. The writer was pretty good with the church there. But I have Revelation two four. But I have this against you that you have abandoned the love you had at first. If this is a danger for the churches in Galatia, and this is a danger for the church in Ephesus, for vision, this is a danger for us today. That we start to fall away from our first love. That we start to let a little bit of mistruth come in. So church, if I had to ask you honestly today, who is your first love today? Is it Jesus? Is it our TVs, our money, our phones, our family? What is your first love today? Are we the foolish Galatians seeking after false gospels? Seeking after a little bit that's just off from the truth? Paul continued on in verse 2. He goes, let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law? Or by hearing with faith, this brings us back to a bigger question how we even received the Spirit to begin with was it by the works we did? Was it by the works of the law, or is it by hearing with faith? And one of the interesting things that we have today that the early church of Galatia wouldn't have had, that I think sometimes we we miss out on understanding how good this is that we had this, that we are in a time where not only do we have the full gospel, we have it in so many different translations right at our fingertips right now. Paul wrote to the Romans about this as well. This The church of Galatia is not the only one dealing with this. Paul had to write about this to the church of Rome and other places as well. And that's one of the advantages we have. We had the full scripture to look at. We could compare the letter to Galatia to the letter to Rome. And this is what Paul said in Romans chapter 10, verse 17, to answer this question how faith comes to us. So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. So this is why he can ask the church in Galatia Did you hear by the Spirit or by works of the law? Did you hear by, with faith? Is that how you received your salvation, or was it by works of the law? Paul's answered this for us already. We're hearing by faith, and faith through the, hearing through the word of Christ. It is not our own. That we came to Christ. You had to hear it. The Spirit had to work in you and open you up. It's not through your own works that you came to Christ. So, Paul is really clear on how we receive salvation, how we receive the Spirit. It's through hearing and hearing through the Word of Christ, it's through faith. But shouldn't this have been clear already to them? If they had learned from Paul already. Shouldn't it have been clear if they had already gotten the full gospel from Paul? Why is he having to remind these churches over and over again of this? Why do we need to be reminded of the gospel every week, of our salvation every week, of the good news of Jesus Christ every week? It's a really simple answer it's because of our own sinfulness. Because we also chase after false gods and idols and our own sin. Our own sinfulness turns our heart away from truth to lies. And not only that, it's not only just our own sinfulness, our own actions. It's in our very desires that we will actually pursue false gospels pushed by false teachers. It was an issue in the early church. It's an issue today. Look at what Paul said to Timothy. This is the second letter he wrote to Timothy. This is chapter 4, verse 3. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. At the end of verse 3, they were for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. To their own passions. Some of your translations may say to their own desires. It's not just that they had false teachers. They had received the truth. Paul had already taught them the Spirit was received by y'all. That's the first point. I can't see the screen, so the first bullet point may have already gone by. The first bullet point is the Spirit received. And Paul is telling them that, hey, you've already received the Spirit by faith through hearing. And then they chased after false desire teachers but it's even deeper. Own desires will pursue false teachers. We desire lies. We desire false teachers. And you want to know why this is? It's because the gospel is offensive to us. Mark made this point a few weeks ago, and I'm repeating it now. The gospel is an offensive message to us. Here's what it says. Here's what the gospel says about us. It says that you and I are sinful, we are worthy of eternal damnation, and there is nothing we can do about it. That's the gospel. That's an offensive message to us. It's an offensive message to this world, and we will do everything within our desire to try to make it change, to try to make it easier for us. And it's much easier for us to seek out a preacher who won't tell you that. It's much easier to seek out a message that's more palatable. Show up to church, hear a feel-good message, and no wrestle the rest of the week. Your Christianity should be wrestling inside of you because of that natural desire you already have for Sinfulness. Your Christianity should be bothering you. You should be wrestling with it every day. What we want, what our simple selves want to hear, is a gospel where there's no sanctification, there's no change, there's no wrestle. Give it to me really easy. But the real gospel tells us that you aren't enough, you never will be enough. And that's okay. Because Jesus is enough. You don't have to be. That's the real gospel. That's a freeing gospel, isn't it? Because if it's based on me, you already saw. I can't even get through a volleyball game without doing what I shouldn't do. Right? I knew better than holler at her volleyball yesterday, game yesterday when I got to preach today. I knew better. I couldn't stop myself. And the real gospel the gospel of Jesus Christ says, good, you don't have to. I've already won. It is finished in me, in Christ. That's it. That's what the gospel says. You don't need works. You don't need your good deeds to be saved. You don't need any of that. You and I just need Jesus and him alone. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one goes to the Father except through him. He doesn't need Micah. He doesn't need you. He doesn't need our money. He doesn't need our works. He's wanted. It's a free salvation. It's a free message. It wasn't free to him. He had to give up everything. But it's free to us. Because he did. If you're here today and Jesus isn't Lord of your life, I beg of you, talk to us before today's out. Don't let this day go to where you're still under the bondage of these works and of sin. That Jesus freed you from that. He freed us to go do good works. Not to be saved by good works. Jesus did good works. Paul did good works. But they never went for salvation from good works. And you've heard this truth. I'm asking you today, if you haven't followed Jesus yet... Please follow him today, because it is freedom in his work. And so Paul continues on. So that deals with the salvation side. How do we get saved? He's going to go a little bit deeper here into the Spirit's work today, which is getting more towards sanctification. And we're going to talk about that a little bit deeper. But we're going to start off in Galatians 3, verses 3 through 5. Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain? If indeed it was in vain, does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law, or by hearing with faith? So I just talked about in verses one and two. He's establishing that we received the Spirit by faith. That, that's confirmed with his letter to Rome. Now he's going, how then are we sanctified or perfected, as he calls it in some translations? Is it by the Spirit? Or is it also by works of the law, works of the flesh? How are we going to be sanctified? And I think what he's getting to, are you going to be sanctified by the Spirit or by yourself? Because if you're going to try it by yourself, you're going to run into the same issue you had with trying to save yourself. You're going to run into the same issue. And, and I know I just, I've been using a pretty big church word here that you will never use probably in your college class your high school class or your workplace sanctification is not something i ever have used at the bank um i probably never will it's a very churchy word but it is very simple and i don't always assume people understand that word it simply means to be set apart or to be purified to be made holy is our sanctification and so Sanctification isn't so much a destiny for the Christian. It is more of a journey for us. You're never going to get to a place that you're perfectly sanctified because your name isn't Jesus. You didn't die on the cross. You didn't resurrect. You're never going to get to a place you're perfectly sanctified, perfectly holy. But you should be on a journey there. You should be seeing signs that things are better than what they were. I mean, if, if you got to where you're holy enough, you probably need to work on your pride and humility, right? Like, you haven't gotten holy there if you think you're completely holy. But you should look back and go, you know, I'm a, I'm a different Christian than I was five years ago. I, I am more Christ-like in my life in some areas than I was five years ago. And it's not just in our actions, but it also has to be in our desires being changed in us. We have to be sanctified in our desires because ultimately our actions come from our desires. So if all you're doing is baseline, I'm just not going to do this today, but you still desire to do that, you will eventually do that, whatever that is. You have to be sanctified even in your desires and let your actions come out of your desires. There's a point in my life that I was absolutely ruled by lust. And pornography was the action that came out of that and had a hold on my life. Jesus won victory over that for me. I didn't do it. I tried on my own. I tried to be a good Christian. I couldn't do it. But when I went and laid that at the cross, I said, Jesus, you have victory over this, and I need help. I need serious help. It's not just putting the computer down. I need help. My desires are wrong. I need your help, Jesus. Then, things can start to change. And I can say that from the pulpit. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Man, Jesus won victory over that. I'm not worried about that. That's in my past. That's in my history. Jesus won it. I'm walking in freedom from it. So there's, I'm not ashamed to say that to y'all because Jesus has done the work. Jesus did the work. And Peter gives us this clear pattern of sanctification. This is why I've sort of hit on desires more because we think sanctification is just act better, drive the speed limit, do these things, right? That's not what it is. It's, it's a fruit of that. Your actions are a fruit of your changed desires. And this is what Peter said in his letter, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 14 through 16. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy For I am holy. Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. And then what happens? Your conduct will be more holy. This is where you have to work on the passions of your former ignorance. So this is sanctification. That's what it is. But how will it work? How does it work in us? Is it us doing it? Is it me trying to change the lust hold on my life? My wife knows. I started fighting it in 2006. I didn't get freedom till 2009 because I kept fighting it myself. I thought I could do it, and I couldn't. I kept failing and going back. It's, like it's an addiction. You, you fail, and you go back, and you start over again. And finally, when I handed it off to Jesus, I said, man, I, I can't do this. I need your help. Spirit, I need you to change me from the inside out, then I could be changed. And so Paul is asking this of the Galatians. He's going to talk about the Spirit's work. Are you being sanctified or perfected by the Spirit or by the works of the law? And they knew all of the Old Testament had already shown them the answer for this. They had the law, and they couldn't follow it. They knew what it was, and they couldn't do it. And if it is up to us through the law to be sanctified, we are in real trouble, y'all. If this is what we teach, if this is what someone else is teaching, if this is what we believe, that we can do it through our actions, through the law, we're in real trouble. Because the prophet Isaiah established, our good deeds are polluted garments. We read that earlier. How can pollution purify? How can something that is polluted then purify? So if even in my good deeds they're polluted, how in the world can I then get saved by them? How can I get sanctified by them if they're already polluted? My wife and I like to go hiking a bunch. I love to go hiking. And, and we like to go, well, I like to go. I just sort of drag my wife along with me on some of these. We went to one back uh, earlier in the year. The water. We like to go see waterfalls, and so we like to go on hikes. And there'll be a, the the prize at the end is a waterfall. We parked at this space, and about a quarter mile down the path, there's a waterfall. That's nice. We did the five mile loop to get back to the waterfall because that's really hiking, right? And I mean, literally, you could almost see the parking lot for the waterfall. It's it's legit stupid. But if we're out, wait, and we saw nobody else, this was not good. Like we were out there in the middle of nowhere and saw no other hikers and nobody else was walking this five mile loop except us sorry page um but if we're out hiking and we're way out there and i get really thirsty and we come up on a stream and i go you know is it worth it i might i'm really thirsty and then we look down and we go ah there's a dead squirrel (laughs) if i walk if i say page you know let's just walk 100 yards downstream we'll be fine I probably would say that actually, just to see what she would say. Actually, I probably would say that. You get my point? The water's still that good downstream, right? I don't care if you walk 200 yards, 300 yards, a mile. I'm not drinking the water that's past the dead squirrel. Let me be honest on this morbid analogy here. We're the squirrel. We are dead in our sins. And everything that flows past us is polluted from that point. I don't care what you put up. I don't care what you try to filter. You've got some pollution there from that point. The only way you're going to get good, clean, pure water is to go to water that's above us. Where we're not the source pollutant. You go to a source that's higher, that's pure This is what the problem is when we try to get saved by our works, when we try to change by our works. We are a polluted source polluting everything that happens past us and through us. But if my sanctification happens through the Spirit, which I received in faith upon hearing by the word of Christ, it's not my power making it happen. It's not my power changing me. It is His power. He's not polluted. I am. He can change me because He is pure. And He, the Holy Spirit, sanctifies me and you. He changes us from the inside out. It's His work, not mine. And the beauty of this is I can take no credit in it. You and I can take no credit in it. And that's a good thing for us because we would mess it up if we try to take credit in it. I promise you, if I'm discipling you, I will let you down at some point. And every other Christian who disciples you will let you down at some point. But Jesus never will. I can only boast of what the Lord has done in me. I didn't change lust in me. I gave it to Christ and he changed it. What are you dealing with today that you're fighting and fighting? Give that up. Let him change it. There's a a further beauty that comes out of this. Because if it was just me, if it was just me, and I had to work and and solve lust in myself, you know what I would say? Well, I can look at that picture and not get in sin, but not that picture. I would draw lines to right where my actions want to be. Then if my actions change, I'll just drop that line a little bit. I can go a little bit more here. would keep drawing lines i would do just enough if it was based on me isn't that how we work but if it's based on christ if it's the holy spirit doing stuff if it is him transforming us and changing us and working on the desires of us he will never be done as long as you're breathing air he will never be done god is not finished with you as long as you're living And that is a great thing for us because I would do just enough. He will keep going. It wasn't like I got, oh, man, I haven't looked at pornography in a long time, so I'm good. I made it. I'm here. I got it. God's like, have you looked at your language lately? You got a little bit of an anger issue there you're dealing with. Let's work on that. Let's keep working. Yeah, you got got one thing I've got in you, and you've gotten this good. You're seeing the fruit of my work. But you're not done yet, Micah. you got a lot more to work on. He's still there today working in a lot of ways. My wife and family can tell you. He's still working in a lot of ways. And that's the beauty of it. He will never rest in sanctifying us. And we, as Christians, don't we get joy out of seeing the fruit of his work in us? It is a more joyful life for me to not be in bondage to pornography. It's a more joyful life for my wife that I'm no longer in bondage to pornography. It is joy when God has worked in you, when the Spirit's been working in you to transform you. And you start to say, you know, I don't even, I used to do this thing, but I found that I don't do this thing anymore. And I don't really desire to do that thing anymore. There's a the joy. Thank you, God. Thank you. And this is the joy for Christians that we have in sanctification. Sanctification sounds terrible. I'd sort of rather do what I like to do. And you're telling me I got to change? That's not that much fun. But there is joy in the fruit of it. And it takes a while sometimes to see it. But you mature Christians, you know exactly what I'm saying right now. You know exactly what I'm saying. Paul takes an interesting jump here. That he five and six actually work together, um, and Paul goes at the end. I'm going to reread five because it it works as a stream of sentence. There. Does he who supplies the spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Verse six. Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. So that's interesting. Paul's making an Old Testament character jump here, and this is actually referencing back to Genesis 15, 6. Um, It almost seems a little weird. At first, when you're reading it, you're like, okay, we're reading through, works of the law, spirit, boom, Abraham. Like, Paul's just randomly name-dropping here to show his cred, right? Street cred a little bit. Like, that's not what he's doing. There is actually a point to this. Um, Paul is trying to tell the churches in Galatia, he's been asking them, where did you receive the Spirit, and how are you being sanctified? Was it all by the works of the law, or was it by faith and hearing? And, And he's made the point that it's by faith, it's by the works of the Spirit, that you were saved and you were sanctified, it's not through what you did. And he says, but just in case you don't believe me, let's talk about Abraham. Just in case you're not convinced yet, let's talk about Abraham. Abraham was obedient he believed God, and it was counted as righteousness to him. Here's the issue, they would have understood this better than we do. They would have understood that Abraham is pre Mosaic law. This is in Genesis. Back in the spring, we did Exodus, where we went through the Ten Commandments, starts the beginning of the Mosaic Law, the Ten Commandments. It continues in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. We walked through Exodus back in the spring. But Abraham is before all that is before the Mosaic Law was coming out. Now, there's arguments to be made, if you read enough, about natural law and all that. They're, they're, they had conscience. They knew right and wrong. Cain and Abel, we knew they knew right and wrong way before. So there was a natural law that was already under conscience. But, but the Mosaic Law wasn't in place yet. You know, if they pass a law due to the benevolence of our leaders, if they pass a law saying, I can't chew gum tomorrow, they can't come back and like, prosecute me for chewing gum today, right? Like, they can't go back and say, oh, well, we passed the law that you can't chew gum, but you chewed gum. I saw that video on Facebook. You chewed gum yesterday. You're in violation of law. They can't do that. And this is what Paul's sort of making a point here. Is you can't say Abraham was be counted as righteousness under the law when the law wasn't in place for him yet. He didn't know the Mosaic law. It hadn't even come yet. And yet... His obedience, his belief, was counted as righteousness to him. The Spirit was there working in him, even if he didn't know what to call it. The Spirit has always been there. The Spirit will always be there. At the beginning of Genesis, when God said, let's make man in our image, he was there. And the Spirit was working in Abraham, even if he didn't know how to define it, didn't know what to call it. The Spirit has always been there and always will be. He is eternal. And so Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness by God. It wasn't his works, it wasn't his good deeds, it wasn't his perfection under the law, it wasn't even, the law wasn't even in place yet. It was his faith. It was his faith. I've been doing a study through Mark with a church member. You know what's always amazing? It's to watch Jesus' reaction when he sees true and genuine faith. Jesus loves to see faith because he knows it is hard for us because we want to revert back to our sinfulness. It was Abraham's faith. That was counted to him. This is pointed out again in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11. We're going to talk about verses 8 and 9 here in a second. Mark started to hit on Hebrews chapter 11 last week. I was like, brother, don't you go too far. You're going to be stealing my point here. The whole book, the whole chapter of Hebrews 11 is counting all the Old Testament people in their faith. You hear this a lot, by faith, by faith, by faith. By faith, through all these Old Testament characters. And in verses 8 through 9, it's pointed out, the speaker of Hebrews points out, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. Think about that. By faith, he obeyed. He went out to a foreign land, didn't know where he's going. Man, some of us need GPS to get to the grocery store. He's going out to a land to live by himself. Right? Isn't that a little scary? By faith, he was obedient. No GPS, just God. And by faith, he went. It was not by his works. It was by his faith that he believed and then he went. Our works follow our faith. Our works follow our faith. Before Christ, we've talked about it. Isaiah talked about it, we've talked about it again. Before Christ, our works were evil. Our works were evil. They were done for evil purposes. Even if you meant good by them, you are hoping everybody knew you meant good by them. They were done in evil. And then we believe through the hearing of the word, as Paul's already established. And then, as Christians, we do works through the Spirit by faith. Those are redeemed works, those are good works. But we get this confused. We get this confused. The church in Galatia had gotten this confused. Where they put works elevated to faith. And so Paul wanted to point back to Abraham to say, guys, this is the way it's been since the beginning. Since the beginning, before the law, it was this way. After the law only exposed your sinfulness, You're still your salvation comes by faith. The law exposed it. He could only believe. You realize that? Abraham could only believe. He had no reference, God. He could only believe. And that faith was counted as righteousness and his obedience. His works followed. This is the order. This is what Paul's telling the church in Galatia. This is what Paul is honestly telling our church here. If we get into a works-based system to where we're just doing works and we're doing works, we're feeling good about ourselves, we've gotten off, church. And it's, going to be, it's going to be dangerous for us as we have new building to just start thinking we can just do works, and that's good enough. And we got to fill up the building by preaching a little bit lesser gospel, gospel plus something. There's going to be temptations there. For us, church, we need this letter today. We need the scripture to point us back around that it's not our works. It's not your works. None of that's going to save you. Only Christ alone can save you. Only the spirit, the spirit can only indwell in you and change you. Nothing you do can. And so as we go and we're going to be wrapping this up, the band can start to come back up. The question for my Christian brothers and sisters here, how are you doing here? How are you doing is this with this? Are you attempting to change based on your own power? Are you feeling the frustration of that yet? Are you feeling almost at times the hopelessness if you have to change based on your own works, your own good deeds? Brothers and sisters, you have no power over sin. You have none. You cannot do it. You cannot do it by your own. You cannot do it alone. But if you trust Jesus, you follow Jesus, and you let the Spirit dwell in you, and He works in you, and He changes you, He has power over sin, Christian. Whatever's got you bound up right now, he has power over it. He's already won the victory over that for you. And for a non-Christian, you might be hearing me today like, what in the world is he talking about, this indwelling of the Spirit? I have no idea what he's talking about. It makes no sense, and it will not make sense to you until you follow Jesus. It will not make sense to you until you follow Jesus. I can't explain it to you until you follow Jesus. And so the question for those who aren't Christian today that are hearing this, is Jesus Lord of your life today? I want you to wrestle with that while we're singing this. Because if he's not, if he's not, then please talk to us. We would love to tell you about him. We would love to tell you what he's done in us, what he did for you, the freedom we walk in now, the joy we have through him and by him. We would love to talk to you. Don't leave here without this conversation today. It matters too much. Let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just come before you. Just, Father, so thankful for this message today, this scripture that you've given us, that, Father, we know we are sinful people, that we try to do these things on our own. We fall away from you. We desire to fall away from you. And yet, you are a Father who loves us. And you have pursued us. And you have given us this understanding that we... Can come back to you that we through repentance and then through sanctification, Father, we we can get back at right relationship with you. You made that possible. You did the work to make that happen. And Father, we are such a grateful people for this. Do not let us lose hope. Do not let us lose sight of the work you're doing in us and the work you've done in us and the work you've done for us. Father, it's your work. Let us be a humble people that seeks you and lays it all at your feet. Father, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.